0: Jordan Schwarzenberger, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Um, hey, thank you so much for having me. No, 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 it's, it's really great. And I mean, you know, it was it was really interesting doing kind of the research into yourself and kind of, you know, all you've achieved in, in you know, your, your relatively short business career. Um, but let's just start with the Sidemen themselves. So, you know, for people tuning in now who don't necessarily know who they are, could you just, uh, could you just tell us in your own words who the Sidemen are?
1: Of course. Cool. So the Sidemen are a collective of seven content creators, all coming together under the one Sidemen group, um, formed in 2013, and they've been doing their thing now for 10 years. This year, it's this is their 10 year anniversary, um, and they're the biggest content creators in Europe, with with numbers surpassing most major networks um, and most content creators around the world. They are absolutely huge. I would describe them as like, and Cal Kalfrizy actually said it uh, in in recently in something in a new project which I can't talk about just yet. But he said that they're like the One Direction of YouTube, which is completely true. And I'd say they are almost like the One Direction of this generation when it comes to you know audience engagement. I've never seen anything like it really since that kind of fandom that One Direction had in the in the early 2010s, I think the Sidemen have got, got it now. Um, it all sort of started for me working or seeing their, their hype and, their, and their, their madness obviously from my friends and from people at school growing up in this generation, but also really for me in the 2017 charity match when I was working at Lab Bible, um, and they did a charity match at Southampton. He, like They sold out 13,000 seats in about a minute or something crazy online. They could only have 13,000, be- which is one stand at Southampton, because any more and the police would have to have made it a proper you know, incident, essentially, so they couldn't get permission to do it more. But they, they literally sold out that stand instantly. I remember going to the game um, and being there when I was working at Sportwire, but we just seeing the, these swathes of kids and their parents Armies of young people coming from around the world to see the Sidemen and and their friends ultimately play football, um, and I just remember, you know, at the end of the game, fans will rush the pitch. There was a, it was complete chaos. They were chasing down all the players because they just had this this. Deep kind of connection with these people to the point where they just wanted to be near them, they wanted to touch them, they wanted to see them um, on a level to the connection that you have with music. Right at the top, at the, at the very top, you have that kind of intimacy, and I think people feel that to their big to their favorite creators. I just remember like literally like everyone got pushed into the locker room, these kids banging down the doors like a scene from like The Last of Us or something. You then had like you know all of these kids chasing after the bus like trying to, trying to follow them to the hotel. It was pandemonium, and that was the first time for me where I went, okay, this is different. And, you know, they've just grown, gone from strength to strength. You know, numbers anywhere from, you know, 200 plus million a month, um, you know, 90 million, I think, average watch time a month. It's ridiculous numbers. Um, bigger than any, again, bigger than any network. I go and speak to an ITV or a Channel 4 or an Amazon today, and they're blown away by just the sheer scale and size of what, of what the boys do. And their regular show, Simon Sunday, which comes out every week, and it's this big kind of entertainment production which is expensive, high production value, hour-long content catering to an audience who, we're told, has no attention span. Well, the attention span is is clearly working (laughs) to its best when they're watching content like The Sidemen. So, yeah, they're a joy to work with. I think um, it's been the most fun ever since we started managing them two years ago. We've done a number of different things which we can get into. Um, And, yeah, I think it's just the beginning, really, for them in, in terms of where they can go.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic, the YouTuber dynamic. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people, especially maybe our audience, maybe a little bit older who aren't necessarily, you know, d- no characters like KSI may have, you know, seen prime or, you know, their kids may talk about it, but there, there's a, there's a large percentage of the population that just doesn't know who these people are. However, the numbers that they have and the following they have is absolutely astronomical so it's it's a a really interesting dynamic that we've got with youtube um but let's focus a little bit more on yourself so you mentioned obviously you worked at sport bible you are only 25 years old and you are the manager of the sideman but could you just fill in the gaps kind of how your career career started and and got you to this point
1: absolutely so um so i i'm 25 now i first knew when I was at school, I think in the in my final year of school, and I was having to apply, I'm having to, but you know, in school you sort of softly have to, right, apply for university, go through that whole thing. And I remember just being there thinking, after having written my personal statement, got my, um, you know, my offers and all of that, that I just did not want to go to university. Like everything in my whole being was saying that this is going to be a waste of time, this is going to be a regret, don't do it. Um, and I remember kind of going down that, that line, and just before the end of school, I was like, right, I need to look around and see what else is there? Because I had no idea. People at school, typically, you know, you do a bit of work experience, you maybe have a few people come in and do talks, but you rarely get any sense properly of, of most industries. And the vast majority of jobs, you just don't know that they exist. So I remember being there in my last year and thinking, all right, I need to try and find out what is in the industry and what possible things there are that I could do. Um, all the way through school, I've sort of been very keen on building brands and i would loved kind of the creative process of things, whether it was making music or, you know, I launched a clothing brand and a film magazine, all these different things my time at school, and so I knew that creativity and brand building was something that I wanted to do, um, but I had no idea what that even was, right? You don't know what an agency is, how things are commercialized, and all of that. So, when we're going online, thinking of all the companies that I could think of, Vice was a company that I thought at that time was cool. I think everybody did 2015, like Vice School was literally a thing that you'd say, not anymore, I don't think really, but at the time, definitely. And um, I remember like thinking and looking on their website and saying, Wow, there's a job here called a creative that's actually a thing like that's your job to be creative and had under it things like you know concept ideation you know building like documentary formats like pitching to brands all these things like this is amazing this is it this is the job of a creative it doesn't get any better than that so I was like oh I want to be a creative advice like why not so then I thought, okay, how do I get to that point? So I, at 70 years old, remember speaking to a friend of mine called Noah who had done work experience there. I think he knows someone who was, who was quite high up and he had all of these emails on his system because he did work experience there, right? So I asked him one day in the library school, Noah, can I have all of the, all of your emails um, from everybody advice? And I just want to send a note and see if anything comes back. I remember sending an email out to ask if I could come in and do work experience and you know just speak to somebody there uh, about some advice you know, just to get a sense of what the industry was. And two people said yes, about, like, 20 emails, I think I said. Uh, And one of them was the head of the – well, was a girl called Amelia Abraham, who connected me to Ian, who's the head of – who was the head of the agency there. We got on really well, and he was like, yeah, come do work experience. So I was like, great. Did work experience there all the way through my last summer before I was due to start uni at King's College studying digital culture, which is a complete nothingness of an idea. Like, why I thought that was a good idea to do, I don't know. But I think for me, it was, like – Digital culture as a course was like the least uni-sounding course that I could do, so therefore do it because it felt applicable, weirdly, even though it wasn't and they had no idea what they were doing. So I remember going there, did uh, did work experience over that summer, started at King's and then dropped down at Vice every Friday. So I'd go to Vice every Friday whilst I was at King's during the week. And I hated going to uni, but I loved working at Vice. And it built up and up and up to the point where um, before the Christmas holidays – had our vice Christmas party, which was as, as sort of mad and Celtic as you can imagine. And I remember st- sat, standing there with the creative director and the executive creative director, who was sort of my like line managers, if you will, and I love working with them. And they were like, look, if you want to drop out of uni and join us, like, we'd love for you to do that, but we don't want to annoy your parents, Like, but we will definitely have you in a heartbeat. So I was like, yeah, 100%. I literally left, and the next day, I put all the emails in to drop out, I told my parents, I was like, right, I'm out, done, um, this is it. So, yeah, drop out of uni. And then started advice full time in January of 2016. I was there for three months before Ian, who's the head of the agency, asked me very discreetly if I wanted to come with him to start the agency over at Lab Bible. So Lab Bible, um, biggest social publisher uh, in Europe, probably one of the biggest. I know they are one of the biggest in the world. They might actually be now. I think they are with UniLab and Lab coming together. Um, but yeah, I, he was like, "I'm going. I've got the opportunity to go to Lab Bible and start their agency to build their commercial wing, help brands to you know work and create content with us to activate against the audience that Lab Bible." Has you know, I think it was over half of all young people in the UK between like under the age of twenty five followed Lab all like ridiculous numbers. Um, and I was like, yeah, why not? Again, I loved Ian and I thought no risk, so I jumped over there. Was there for a year and a half, loved it, had an amazing time. We did so much, so many amazing things. Got to travel, got to you know go to these big events, got to host stuff, got to do all sorts, work with amazing brands. Um, but then got to the end of that point, and I was like, right, I've worked with a number of brands. I sort of naively, somewhat arrogantly, maybe thought, okay, I can do it myself now. So I decided to. Launched my own agency called Roundabout, which was at the time the first ever Gen Z agency uh, in the UK. I was this was 2017, and I did that in order to help brands some of the contacts that I'd had and everything else connect with the audience that I was from. The selling point always throughout my time was I am young, I know what is culturally relevant to the audience that is me and my friends and the people that I know, and and you know this sort of segment of of uh, of society which you as a brand want. Therefore, I can help you connect authentically because I'm not like. 40 years old, 50 years old, sat in a boardroom telling people what young people want. Um, so it worked really well, and I did that for six months, and one of the clients. Um, was James Grant and James Grant is a TV management business um, the biggest in Europe as well Looked off, look, they look after everyone from an Anton Deck to a Philip Schofield to most of ITV but then also now, you know, Steve key Blink 182, they've you know, have had number, numbers of clients, like huge people um, and we started working with them to help them feature proof what they were doing I was working on Ryland, Frank Lampard and Reggie Yates at the time, loved it and it just got better and better working with them to the point where I sat down with Mary who's the MD of the entertainment division she said to me look like you like we'd love to have you as much time as you can give um if you wanted a full-time job here we'd love to take you um and i thought about it and i had a couple of other sort of interns and people who i've been working with on roundabout but we all just decided actually it was best for us all just to kind of we've, we've built this amazing case study we've all been given these intros and this great way into the industry It's kind of go our separate ways and i joined there as, as the chief of officer uh, of ymu at what james grant at the time in 2018 So therefore. Three and a half, four years, get to end now. Before Aaron, who was a friend of mine, or is a friend of mine still, of course, in um, the business management division, he um, had gone off to manage some TikTokers. So he was, he is an accountant by trade, uh, but he had gone off to manage TikTokers because he was always so much better than just an accountant. He would always help people with their business and their strategy, and, and he had a couple of amazing clients. Um, but it wasn't quite big enough for me to do it with him at that point or else I would have done. Um, but then I decided um, after speaking with him and he met with Sam, who's our third co-founder now in Arcade. And he Sam is like the YouTuber accountant. He's been looking after everyone in the scene for the last decade or so. And they got together. We then got together and realized that actually the Sidemen specifically needed uh, or could, could have so much value added to what they were doing. I don't know how you know, how much your listeners will know about the sort of influencer management scene in the UK, but it's so fragmented, so many people kind of non-exclusively being represented, So everyone's undercutting everyone, there's a lot of sort of fractions and tensions and wars, and there's no unification for those at the top end of the and the end being number one. Uh, it seemed glaringly obvious that they needed management, like there were all these managers, but no one managing them, specifically in the management team they had, I don't think, had, had been really strategically managing them for the long term, more around transactional you know brand deals really that is kind of the industry so um so yeah they we ended up kind of going to them and saying guys look this is where you are this is a strategy this is this what I've been doing at YMU for the next three to five years like how you can really build this and push this to the next level across every sector you could want um that feels authentic to you and, and adds value to to your audience and they were like yeah let's do it so I handed my notice and we started at the beginning of April um 2021 so it's nearly been two years uh, and it's been a whole world of fun we've launched a fried chicken brand called sides a vodka brand called xx vodka membership club called side plus we are doing hotels soon we've got did the charity match last year which raised over a 1000000 we are doing do all sorts of christmas number one with christmas drillins at the end of last year which i always forget about as well as a whole host of other projects so we're just building out and hopefully cementing the side sidemen as the leaders in this space both from a content perspective but also now from a business perspective uh, as we possibly can and ultimately giving them the the shine and the, and the flowers that they deserve I think and trying to bridge the gap between the corporate world who has typically not understood them and them being at this really elite perspe- position in the culture um, and I think hopefully we're, we're doing that to a decent level.
0: It's really interesting and I mean again like you know what what you've kind of described it's it's quite mind-blowing that that's an year journey um, you know it's it's what you've achieved is absolutely brilliant. It really, really is. And, you know, there's just so much that kind of jumps out when you tell your story. And I think one of those things kind of going back originally to you just, you know, cold reaching out to people advice. I mean, you know, I feel like there's a a lot of teenagers who wouldn't take that step. But, you know, that's clearly something that was ingrained in you that like, you know, why not? I'm going to reach out. I'm going to ask the question. Like, where do you think that came from? That kind of attitude of like, you know what? I'm gonna give it a go and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I developed through school and through my parents being incredibly supportive as well. I think I, I developed, a, I guess, a creative—don't say fearlessness, but a sense of like, there's no why, why be scared of, of failing? Like, there's no, there's no risk really, other than potentially you looking a bit dumb. But who cares really about what other people think? And I think I developed at school. Like, my school was great and was able to have so much freedom to do things like you know, make music, develop you know, short films, like create my clothing brand, all these different things and and had so many, so, so many tools at, at that school to support me in doing that, which I think, yeah, it led to a sense of, of creative experimentation when I was younger to the point where I was quite used to launching things, starting things, testing things, putting things out there. I was, you know, obviously grew up in the age of Facebook, which just sounds really old now, but like the age of sort of Facebook in, in the mid 2010s and, you know, being in, in that era as a as a sort of younger person, but somebody wanted to create and express themselves, like launching a clothing brand, like actually activating that stuff, like being putting yourself out there to friends um, creatively, like that's a step. And I think once I started that step at around 14, 13, 14 years old, it became easier and easier to do that as I got older. So I think, yeah, then things like sending an email out to give it a go when there's no real risk. What's the risk? They say no or they ignore you. Um, you know, I, I never sort of felt that sense that it, it was it was worth more to, to avoid doing that than it was to at least give it a shot. And I also think when I was when I had my cl- uh, my film magazine called Lost VHS, which I ran from like 15, 2015 to 20... No, no, 2015, 2012 to 2014, that kind of that kind of time with a few friends at school, it was all about reviewing films and going to, you know, film festivals and all of that. And we got to a point where because we scattered out so many emails, and this is what I learned very quickly, you scatter out enough emails with some substance there and you will get some reply. I think we, we must send like 50 or so emails to as many different, um, you know, uh, production companies and film festivals and cinemas as possible. And we, we had so many, we had quite a few actually replies come back and say, right, yeah, we'll send you to screeners, we'll add you to the press list, we'll get you on board So that for me was a big eye opener when I go, right, well, if you can just email that many people, if you can get the contact, email film magazines, ask to do reviews for them at scale you do that enough times there will be enough people coming back to so you. Even if it's twenty emails, one reply, that one reply might be enough to ultimately change your life or change your your presence or your or your brand and, and I think it's worth there for. And I always say to people just send the email but also expect ninety nine percent of people to ignore you, but do enough that you'll get one percent back and that one percent might be enough for you to to do everything you wanted. And that had definitely happened to me. And I think if more people applied that kind of chaos theory mentality of just scatter, just like go for it. Reach out to as many people as you can,
0: they will get somewhere. that that makes complete sense and you know there is definitely a difference between working for someone and deciding to break off and do it yourself so you know that kind of entrepreneurial spirit yourself was that something that was do you think is ingrained in you or is that something you just found a a gap and you were just like we're just going to do this
1: yeah I think I think it was you know I guess building that confidence over the years and being somebody who enjoyed creatively expressing myself if you will um from a business perspective and I love the thing of sort of building brands and, and just putting things out there creating logos is always a thing that i randomly like loved doing like making things feel like an entity um and I think yeah that for me from an entrepreneurial perspective was always a, a trait like trying things putting things out there giving things a go and the more you do I guess the more things just happen in life right the less you do the less things happen that's, that's obvious but I think in terms of you know, that entrepreneurial side of things, it was more, that's really been unleashed working with Aaron and Sam through Arcade more than anything now at, at a decent level. Because when I was at YMU, when I was at Lab of Mumbai, so I was just learning for like three, four years. I'd always say, you know, until you know enough about an industry, until you really know how things work, like it's worth working for somebody else, or to work on someone else's like dime, like that, I know it's a bit callous, but the idea of like, Learn through the process of being an employee. And then when you're ready and you actually have awareness, then go off and do it yourself. I think that's definitely the the way I would advise most people, um, especially in the creative industry, to do it. Because I do think that being a salaried employee for the long term in this day and age is not the best thing commercially but also creatively i think there's so much opportunity out there why would you want to be stuck to someone else's um decision making um especially when you know and you understand the space and that was always the thing for me whereby at other companies you know love them though i did you'd always feel you always know you're under a hierarchy of decisions and i think for me as somebody who, who knew how to instinctively go from a to b um I think in most things or in some things, and, and especially things that were culturally relevant to my age demographic and, and things that I grew up watching, experiencing, etc. I knew how to activate things, and, and I guess that's why they wanted me in those companies. But also, you're then still stuck under those structures of yeah, but this might not work, or no, not with this, or whatever else. So creatively, you can only really be free for doing it for yourself. And I think that's one of the best things about about doing what we're doing now is we have the Cypin as our ultimate board and our, our like you know our decision makers but at the same time we have so much creative trust from them to deliver and develop things to to you know a level that i would have never seen coming um and it's been just the most fun fun ever so yeah it's definitely changed i think how the kind of entrepreneurial side for me and it's more about learning to the point where you know enough to actually go and do it rather than doing it first It's probably where yeah where i sit on that on that now
0: you know how the the representation game has changed like you know you you think back to old hollywood you know kind of you know agents and stuff like that trying to get deals for their clients and things like that and how it's kind of evolved you know you 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 definitely disrupted the representation game as far as what you did for the sideman and kind of making them your exclusive you know kind of manager uh clients um and i mean it's just such an incredible story it really really is and i mean you know even even getting in the room with some of the biggest brands in the world um do you ever feel that kind of you know imposter syndrome a little bit like what am i doing here or have you ever had people kind of just be like you're young you don't know what you're talking about how is, how have you been received in those in those boardrooms
1: yeah i mean i think um i think for me now especially Get you, know, you have to have this fearlessness where you just go like who, cares, like who cares really like what other people think and it's probably been the biggest it's the hardest thing for most people to overcome I don't think I'm not going to say that I'm like 100% like yeah I don't care at all what people think I think anyone's saying that's somewhat disingenuous but I think to a large extent I've trained myself habitually to not care really what people think and to be able to yeah have conversations at a high level knowing that we are the experts in what we do and that we have you know credibility in what we do, and people are there for us, or they're engaging in the conversation for us, and, and what we know, and how we know our audience, and how we know to build brands, whatever it might be. And I think because of that, especially now, there's there's enough there to back up what we're saying. And really, I think the more you spend time with people at a top level, you realise that no one really knows what they're doing to any like crazy degree I think most people are working it out right and I think the majority of people at the top uh, in big brands in big agencies etc they want to learn right and they're there because they are curious and they're intelligent but they but not because they're experts necessarily they are actually more more skilled at galvanizing others and, and, and learning and adapting so I think yeah for me I love nothing more now than being able to go into rooms and, and speak to brands speak to commissioners speak to channels and just go in with a fearless mindset of like we really know what we're doing in this space. And there's so much that you can learn from and actually trying to provide as much value as I can. Um, in those conversations, I think the reception is really good. Like I've never really had any sense of you're too young, um, like what are you doing here or you don't know what you're I, I can't think of any example really actually where that that's come through. And I think that's because I've sort of stayed in, in my lane and hopefully not been arrogant enough to think that I know that much more than I do. I know what I know and I, I've experienced what I've experienced. I can't talk for anything beyond that. And I think hopefully that that kind of maybe playing down or like trying to keep a modest frame in terms of my own knowledge and experience. Like I would never say I'm, I'm exceptional or brilliant or special in any way. Like Hopefully that, that softens it rather than trying to charge in and be that guy who knows it all. Um, and I think that's something that I, I definitely learned at why when I started there and when I was like what nineteen or something nineteen twenty and be ha- having to be like a nineteen year old c suite position in a company full of people who are a lot older than me like how do you cement your own credibility and how do you like find your voice in that business in a voice that is respected but also you know humble and modest enough and I think I definitely didn't get that right in the beginning because I kind of came in thinking I, I, as a previous like founder see like. CEO, whatever that means, of my business before, I had to come in with that authority and I had to be that guy who knew it all and was able to be commanding and, and have that voice. And I think I learned very quickly. And Mary, who I'll always credit as being like the biggest, she's now the CEO of YME, she's like one of the biggest people in, in my life. But from a sort of career development and personal development perspective, she once told me like, you're coming across arrogantly, like you need to stop and you need to change it, not in those harsh words, she, she would never. But she she said it very like perfectly to cut enough to like get the message through, but also was very nice about it. And it changed my whole mindset. And after that, that was quite early on after that whole point, um, everything changed and became a lot smoother. So yeah, I think um, it's, it's hopefully that it's, it's not coming across as as if I know what I don't know Um, and staying, I think nicely within my lane um it's probably helped so yeah
0: no it's such a positive story because you know a lot of the young founders that we do talk to are scared of exactly that kind of being laughed out the room not getting the same amount of respect but to hear your journey you know obviously it's not the same at all it's probably not going to be the same in, in most industries but that's a that's a really positive story for sure um and yeah i just want to kind of get an idea of kind of the scale of the team behind the side the sidemen because obviously there's seven uh, main faces behind it you know in front of the brand rather but h- how many people kind of work behind the scenes um, whether that's commercial and and, and content creation itself
1: 100 so um so yeah so you've got seven sidemen we did an org chart actually recently for them and it was I mean, it's hum- humongous. Like it's a real beast of a of a system. But they sit as the board at the top, and then we have myself, Aaron, and Sam um, as the as, as their kind of director team if it was Just us at the beginning. Victor sits as the fourth one of us, but Victor also is is operationally in in the trenches, if you will, of their content team. So he's their head of content, um, and he's exceptional. He's completely transform the process the structure the way that the boys are able to have more time which is again our biggest job really is like how do we free up their processes, their their lives. So we are like as little of a nuisance as possible and we are as, as as little in their ear as possible. We can automate their world. Like that's the best thing so they can enjoy more time um, and they're not as stuck in it because before they were doing far too much for people at, at their level. So I think, um, yeah, we have sort of streamlined that. Victor's done an incredible job of doing that and he was previously running side plus at the membership club. We've then got under him, I think he said to me the other day, it's 35 people now working under him, combination of freelancers as well as full-time. Stuff so that's everything from thumbnail designers to thumbnail strategists to you know optimization uh individuals uh, looking at data to you know actual producers freelance directors people like con obviously who, who is their their director and the cameraman um tanya tp who's their sort of producer who runs the show on cyber sunday she's managed and built that whole show from from nothing really she's incredible and she has Lucy under her who's a set designer art designer so art director slash set designer so you've got this sort of side men entertainment content engine which is all about just the channels chip fat on more side men ties you've got all these people now across across the um the, the the kind of content side of the business and then you split that on the other side you've got um you know the kind of corporate or commercial side of the business so you you'd put in there you know teams like the sides team the vodka team um you've got the, uh, we're actually launching soon. I don't know when this is coming out, but we're launching a ventures business, um, which is coming soon. So we've got a team for our ventures business, um, which should be launching at the end of this month. So I don't know when this is coming up, but either way, um, but that's coming soon. We've got, um, what else have we got? We've got, yeah, a whole team project managers, directors, charity um reps who are helping with with account management for our, chari- for our charity match and our Christmas songs and all of those things. We've got this whole team of, of people on the commercial side of the business as well as performance as well, like CRM, um, copywriters, et cetera. And then, and then you've got the entertainment team, which is more about, sort of the content team, sorry, which is more about, you know, the day-to-day management of the content week by week. Um, and that is again about 35 people. So i say there's about 50 people between like kind of full time, part time in those two parts of the business. And then the extended team is probably upwards of 150 plus people in terms of the chefs on the sides, the people at Volker, and the whole like, all of the different people that kind of spring out who we don't even know we'll see day to day. That's a whole other army of people. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a big growing business. I think we've got, um, an amazing team of people and it's exciting to think with all the different things we've got coming, which I can't talk about just yet. Um, we've got so much happening that, yeah, that's only going to grow and grow.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, when you think about this journey that you've been on just, you know, with the Sidemen chapter of your, of your career, um, how, how do you think you've changed your leadership style and developed it, you know, kind of dealing with all of these different teams, um, you know, is it something that you've thought about or is it something that you feel has come quite naturally to you? Yeah. I mean,
1: I think, you know, on a personal level, I can speak for me. I can't speak for Aaron and Sam, who, you know, obviously leading in their own ways and in, in their different ways. We all have our separate is really. So I kind of lead on creative um, strategy, uh, all those things again that I've done before that I know how to do pretty well. Aaron is very much the commercial leader; he'll, he'll look at all kind of brand deals, like making sure that every kind of commercial partnership and agreement is great, uh, and he's brilliant at that. And then Sam is, is across like the finance side; so he's like obviously accountant by trade, he knows that well brilliantly. He leads on all that kind of money and financial things as well as other things as well. But yeah, that's kind of our three buckets, if you will, and it works works for you. I think on a personal level, my leadership style, and sort of on that creative and strategic side of the business, especially is around like is around really being aware every day that (laughs) if we're doing the good enough, if we're doing a good job, we should be the least talented people in the room. Like that means for me, we're doing a good job in terms of hiring development and building our teams. Like we should not be doing the work day to day from a groundwork level. Again, that means we're not doing our job. Our job is to scale something. And that means it's about finding exceptional people, working with them to free them up to do their job to the best of their ability, rather than us sort of getting stuck in. Like we, even though it's tempting at times, like one thing that Neil Rodford, actually former CEO of YME, he taught, he taught me when I was working very closely with him, was that you should not be doing the work, like, you should not be in the weeds, and that's the hard bit when you move up the ladder, if you will, corporately, is you realise, oh, the things that I actually love doing, I kind of can't do anymore, or else, or else you're not really working for the best of your team, because you're taking it off their hands, you're not building a structure that can do it without you, and I think it's constantly replacing yourself, that's the that's like the biggest thing for me it's like again being the least talented person in the room and replacing yourself constantly is something that I'm just obsessed with like how do we how do we get to a point where we've just automated a system of individuals who are exceptionally talented and you are leading them to get them to a point where you where they don't need you (laughs) not the other way around I think it's it's finding that that kind of balance and being able to do that effectively that I think is as I've developed on them a good kind of mark of, of leadership um, and then also around, you know, how can you look up, like how if you're looking down too much at the day to day and you're not being able to look up and, and look ahead, then how much, how can you really plan? How can you develop? How can you look forward? And I think we've done a, a good enough job with that, actually. And people like Victor, who has just been transformational, I mean, he's like just an unbelievably talented individual who's taken so much off our hands in terms of that operational day to day management. So for me, I can look up and go, right what's next, how are we developing new relationships, new partnerships, meeting new talented people that then come and create new buckets of our business that are, you know, as is happening now in development. So, yeah, that's the biggest thing for me. And, and hopefully it's a good way to be. I think I'm, I I would hate to be a kind of dogmatic, like very fierce person I think me, Aaron, and Sam all share that. Like we are, we are very much around this concept of high freedom, high trust. Like give people a lot of freedom, give people a lot of trust, but then also hold them accountable. And I think if we, you know, for me, like that blend is the best for everybody. So you're not micromanaging people constantly, and you're also flushing out those who can't do that, uh, and can't sort of hold that level. And you know, I, I get that it's difficult for people, right? High freedom, high trust environments aren't always for everybody, but we're trying to cultivate one that, that is is of the best of the best. And I think yeah, so far so good, really.
0: Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really interesting, kind of sticking on that on the, on the business. Um, obviously, one thing that many, many business leaders have to go through is kind of a journey of kind of securing funding to kind of help with their growth. Could you just give us some kind of idea about, you know, how, how you guys have managed the funding? Is it all self-funded? How, just give us a sense of how that works.
1: Cool. So I think, yeah, it's all the interesting for us is we're unique in that we have one client. So, because we have one client, we're essentially building out their team, <laughs> and we are—I would say—like the kind of CEOs of their world. So, it's a very different structure. If you've got a scaled management business like a wine, meal or like a—I mean—pick any company where you have multiple clients. Um, the challenge of that is that your resources are going to be shared. So, you're, you know—you could never, for example, ask the client to pay for for uh, for uh, resources which are being shared across multiple individuals, multiple talent. Obviously, right? That that wouldn't make sense. And if you're trying to apportion costs for each client how do you even start to do that right because okay well you're spending three hours on one and an hour a week on the other whatever it might be whereas with our situation because it's so clean and everything is in the interest of the side men and their expansion their growth and their development you know they can ultimately fund their business because we are hiring for them so they fund it and our businesses then as they develop and become successful have then funded um, the growth. So it becomes a really interesting thing where we're then not conflicted and we don't have to raise money. It's a beautiful position, to be honest, because we don't have to raise money. We have access to capital, which we can invest on their behalf. But it's almost like we are like a wealth manager would be. We are like investing on their behalf into a team and then managing that team for them. So ultimately, they. They invest the capital to do that, which is a complete shift. And I found actually at Wyoming, one of the challenges we definitely had when I was there was around commission and the kind of, you know, the squeezing of that margin when you're then trying to put that back into services. And then clients aren't paying above and beyond that commission for services which really go above and beyond the scope of of management. So it really traps, I think. the margins and it it makes the business squeeze and it's difficult once you set that precedent as well, okay, you're going to get this service and this service and this service. How on earth do do you break out from that? Because people ultimately will always want more and more for less and less. So again, I think one thing we've definitely learned from this process is to is to make sure that when you are deploying on behalf of a client, like they should be investing. It shouldn't be you being like, yeah, we'll, we'll invest into a social manager and this person and this person and this for you, and we'll pay for it out of our commission. Because ultimately, the commission is for you as a, as a manager. As a, as a, that's for your time as a team, not for the services as well. And I think that is a shift, really. And more, of the you know, the agencies are very transactional in nature. They don't do that typically. Some do in America, for example, the 360 management side of things um, where they're taking everything but they're also investing in services for the client I think America is a bit better at being more brutal around right this is what you pay for this but then uh, you know this is what will be out of our commissions our time to secure let's say these deals or to help you in this way but beyond that you have to pay for it and you have to invest so I think it's a much cleaner fairer way of doing it and ultimately music managers can actually like not be in a position where the, where the more they grow actually the, the less their margin is secure because that is typically the way I've seen it in the industry.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's, it's really, really interesting. And obviously the creative economy itself, it's still relatively in its infancy, you're looking at kind of 10, 15 years, it's been going really. Um, but I mean, I came across a talk that you'd done where it's worth about $16 billion in market value across the creative economy. So to give you some kind of idea, like the audience, a bit of an idea of the the scale of the the economy that you're talking about, but you know, what, what would you say are the risks to to the creator economy? I mean, obviously, there's the rise of AI. Uh, you're also looking at kind of, you know, th- there's various things with IP, especially you know in China, people ripping off IP. What what would you say are the main risks to the creator economy?
1: Oh, interesting. So yeah, so I think I think the risks for me. I think you mentioned a couple of the ones that jump out. So that, mm-hmm. Things like things that AI are, yeah, interesting as tools, but also where people are by our by our fallen nature. Uh, prone to misuse things, so I think it'll probably, or it is getting misused, and I think that'll have an impact, especially things like copyright and everything else, you know, there's been instances, pretty horrific instances of, you know, girls being faked and all this sort of stuff, like, that whole side of things is, is pretty challenging for creators who are, who are constantly exposing themselves and are constantly on the front line of, um, like in terms of audiences, you know, that opens you up to being a target for misuse. Um, I think other threats for the creative economy, Things like, well, I think, I think one of them is in, maybe not directly to the creative economy, but to the impact of it is that the traditional world just doesn't wake up to what's going on. I think that's probably one of the biggest threats taking place, not in relation to the creative economy, because I don't see too many threats that creators face. Um, well, I can go into one, but after, but one of the biggest is the is the traditional industry is not waking up and realizing like Prime is the new <laughs> Red Bull for this generation. Like in 10 years time, who, who cares about the brand for virtue of, of the brand's sake? You know, people care about the brand for even the brand personality or value. So if you ladder in to a, a product, um, a creator who embodies all of those traits that brands are tr- often trying to cultivate in their brand. And they've already developed that affinity and that love. How much further will that 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 product go than sitting on the shelf next to something that is ultimately a corporate faceless uh, institution? And I think I look at what we're trying to do with sides and with vodka, we're already doing and we're proving that. You know, when sides is next to KFC, if the price point is the same, why would anybody go to KFC if the product's also good? And that has to be the key as well, right? The product can't be bad. Same with XX vodka. If you've got vodka on the shelf. XIX next to Smirnov. If anybody knows the sidemen, they will buy XIX if the price point is, is is close. Um and I think it's it's that mindset which I see clearly that this is where things are going, where your warmth to a brand is amplified times 100 when a creator is is driving that brand that is founded by them versus when it's a corporate faces organization. And I think we'll see a shift over the next sort of 10 years massively whereby i think mr b said it on the side i think on the sidecast actually he said that like there will not be coca-cola in 10 years time It will not have relevance what will be relevant is let say prime or mr Beast coca-cola if he wants to ever do that like that's what will be relevant the sidemen's version of x like and so for us it's about having as many high value quality products and that really provide value for the fans not doing too many in ways that are you know are kind of cynical but making sure that we're providing constant value in what we're doing and we're looking at various different industries and saying how can we do this better than it's currently being done and i think yeah it should see over the next kind of six months to a year there's a number of different things we're trying to do like hotels for example it one thing that we're looking to launch soon um it's probably gonna be pushed back from summer just because of um of, of one, one of the buildings or the building we were looking at fell through and we're looking at a new site or we're looking at new sites at the minute. But, um, but hotels, that whole concept, like why can a hotel hold the hotel experience typically for younger people is pretty terrible, which is why Airbnb has dominated because that's more interesting than traditionally hotels are. Um, and so why can't a creator come in and disrupt that and do something that's different and more interesting and more engaging? So we're all over it. We're like, right, we're going to try and enter this space in a way that has never been done before and do something that's, that's cool and this interesting and different and just caters to that audience. Um, because no one really is, I don't think, especially in that space, and in a number of different fields, they're not really catering to that Gen Z audience properly. Um, or else they would be engaging with creators. And I think in a lot of the traditional markets and, and industries, they're just not even aware of it yet. So that's definitely a threat, to talk about to that question, that these industries don't wake up and then creators just Come and take them over, and I think that will happen consistently over the next ten years. Um, the other threat that I will say creators do face uh, is AdSense, and the ad monetization is a threat and opportunity. The ad monetization and model, which I can only see, is getting more and more squeezed. Like the way that YouTube, for example, has been demonetizing videos, the way that Twitch has been suspending people, like there is a real catering of uh, these platforms to the ads that ultimately pay the bills of these platforms more than the creators, do. even though the creators are the reason why they're getting the eyeballs in the first place, the brand becomes the client, not the creator. And if they were smart, they'd flip it. And I think um, the the way that, for example, like YouTube is is squeezing creators to death in terms of, you know, what you can and can't do, it makes it a torturous exercise to try and even put something out there. Even the sidemen with their huge team, Um, that they have in the back end, they even, you know, they even are getting videos demonetized and they're having to really strategically work around that system with things that should not be demonetized. Like objectively, there's no reason, it does not breach the law, but then then breach the rule. sorry, but then once it gets flagged, you've got another three days to wait and then you can get it appealed you've lost out revenue during that time, like you can't get that money back. So I think you'll see a number of platforms come up that are more about free expression and they'll have to be solutions Um, maybe it's more creators taking things off and doing things more privately maybe it's other platforms rising up as as you've seen in streaming things like kick and others um who are more about sort of free speech rumble the same um so i think we'll see a movement to that whereby channel platforms that are huge and have real dominance by ads they lose their hold on creators because they aren't allowing for expression when creators really realize i think that they that audience are there for them not the platform they'll just go to wherever they want to and Um, and have a lot more control and ultimately more commercial upside and freedom to express themselves creatively as a result. So, yeah, those would be my threats, I think, both outside the industry and then within.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, it's, it's such an interesting one to follow with the creative economy. It it really is. And, you know, when you look at the guys who stay big for the best part of a decade, obviously, you know, the sidemen, you mentioned Mr. Beast, you know, other people who have been around, obviously evolution is very much a part of that. So that's a really good business lesson that you can take to always evolve, you know, make sure you are changing and not kind of standing still. What other lessons do you think business leaders could learn from Uh, the creator economy, and obviously, in in your case, the sideman?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I have learned through my podcast, I run a podcast as well called Unbox, where I speak to trying to shine a light on the creator economy in the UK specifically, because there's a number of... um, you know, platforms like Colin, Samir and others that do an amazing job of sort of using or educating people through the creative economy in the US, but there's nothing really here in the UK. So set up box to kind of be that resource for the you know 75% plus now and it, all the surveys that goes up and up and up with young people who want to be creators and want to enter this world. So that's the aim of that show. And One of the best things for me about doing that has been the learning mm-hmm myself sitting with all of these incredible creators and hearing them talk about their business, talk about the creator economy, what they see coming, their fears, their hopes, all these sort of things. And I think one of the things that, you know, is is really evident through speaking to, you know, every single person is just how much you need to, you know, adapt and evolve what you're doing exactly as you're saying, right? You need to be able to constantly reinvent yourself to push to the next level, to develop your your brand and business. And I think. From a creative perspective that's really exciting for business leaders i think they should they should take that that same mindset of constant adaptation like you are i think josh josh um Zirka tweeted once that like, evolve will be extinct and it's something which should be hung on every wall of, of every major institution and brand and um and you know channel platform everything is like evolve will be extinct because there's no you have no right to your success currently necessarily you have no right to be you know an institution if you don't evolve to to the audience who is truly the customer, they, they are not there for the institution's sake. They're there for the value that it provides to them as a consumer, as a customer. So if that value goes, or if that customer changes, and they don't move with them, then you know ultimately they they will they will become extinct. I think that will happen. So I think it's thinking like a creator It's one thing which comes through in the show a lot is, is the idea of you know this sort of restless, somewhat um, somewhat insecure drive to be like right. I I do not. Not I don't deserve to be in my position, but I'm not going to let this position go. Like, I'm going to constantly keep pushing, pushing, pushing every single day. Um, and I think the other thing as well is that we are all creators now, Like, virtue, by virtue of the internet, by virtue of social things like LinkedIn, you know, and then, you know, the way that that consumers now engage with brands, engage with individuals, we are all creators. And I think we have to think like a creator in order to succeed in this new world. Um, having the mindset of, of putting out content, being able to provide value to people, tell stories, uh, being able to use social proficiently—like these are the skills which people now really need. If you look at every industry, even things as you know adjacent as finance, like how many incredible people on Twitter are like influencers in their own right because they are you know brilliant at finance or brilliant at crypto, for example, it's completely adjacent. To, or even footballers. Everybody, right? Everyone is a creator now. Um, people you would never think are are now you know in this position because of social. I think it's having that mindset and not being afraid of that, and really taking advantage of the huge opportunity to build your personal brand and to cement your position in whatever space you have as a business leader, um, as somebody who is who is a thought leader in the, in their industry and in their space. And I think for those who would, who can jump on the personal branding bandwagon so to speak and realize that they are a creator there's not that much that distinguishes them from many of the biggest in terms of you know their background where they come from the value they provide i think leaning into that is going to be crucial over the next five to ten years that's again one thing that's come through consistently in unbox it's like you need to be present you need to be in the arena and i think people who aren't are going to really struggle as this whole personal branding world just becomes more and more um, dominant i think Um, and things like tiktok Real short form, that whole world of short form content really amplifies that as well because it's all about the personality, it's about quick value, it's about storytelling, and so on. So, I would say to business leaders, lean into that space like you are a creator, whether you like it or not. You have two choices you either run away and hide and do your business in silence. Um, or you lean into this massive opportunity, and I think you'll thank yourself in the next five to ten years if you do that.
0: No, that's absolutely brilliant. There's so many good takeaways there for our audience, so thank you very much. Um, it's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Centre to bring you the good news postcard. Jordan, today your question is from Ben, age 12.
1: Hello, I am Ben from the Jill Dando News Center at World Community School Academy. My question for you is are you happy with what you've achieved to date and where do you find and where do you see yourself in five years time? Hey Benson, thank you so much for for that great question um am I happy with what I've achieved to date I would say yeah I'd say yeah for sure I, I couldn't think I could I could not be happy I think it's been an amazing sort of seven eight years in this industry um I think I'm constantly realizing those the more I do the more there isn't really a ceiling and there also isn't really a moment of consolation where you feel like okay this is it this is great I think it's constantly about the journey and moving on to the next thing pushing you know what you're doing um, further and further and I think being Always with the mindset that like today's your first day. Like I always feel like that was something when I was at Vice actually that was that was pretty big for me. Was making sure that every first impression and every day felt like the first. And I think therefore you're constantly happy even though you're not maybe looking at everything as being as being like complete or finished. So I think yeah I'm, I am definitely happy uh, in in where things are. But there's always always room to grow, always room to to improve. And I'm excited for what's for what's to come. So and then to the second part of the question, which is where do I see myself in five years time? Uh, I have no idea, <laughs> quite honestly. I don't know. So another thing that I've always, I've definitely learned over the last seven, eight years is I don't have goals or ambition long-term. And it's a bit counterintuitive, but I've never sat there and said, actually, like, I want to be here doing this. I want to be this person or in this position. Because I think actually what I've learned is when you you go from sort of opportunity to opportunity and you develop your skills, you might find yourself in completely different fields and in different spaces, which you've never that you would be in so for example for me going into sort of the world of like branded content publishing to then end up in you know management or in marketing with my roundabout with business roundabout and then in now management with james grant why and then the sidemen um those are completely different worlds but i and i would never have sat there and said i want to be managing talent or i want to be working with talent i didn't even think about talent at the beginning of my career so yeah for me i have no clue i think it's basically uh just about building out what we're doing i'd, I'd love to see all of the brands and businesses that we've been launching with the sidemen develop and, and come on uh, immensely of course like, as i know they will um and then yeah we'll see see where we're at see where we're at i think um but thank you so much for, for your brilliant question
0: no it was definitely a brilliant question and it was a fantastic answer from yourself too so uh last kind of question from us um we are business leader so what would you say makes a great business leader
1: so I think a great business leader is somebody who is humble, who is uh, puts leads from behind, not in front. Um, somebody who gives others a platform for expression and who is trusting. Uh, and somebody who knows their weaknesses is probably the biggest thing rather than acting like they know it all. So knowing know your weaknesses. Um, and also just somebody who's nice. I think like, the, bi- the biggest thing that I've found the best people, the people who you remember, the ones who are just kind, nice, fun, uh, who don't take things too seriously and who have those traits. And you really notice like, the people who you're in the room with who are the opposite, you don't want anything to do with them. And I think you won't be alone in that. So in a weird way, the best way to generate more business and to grow your business is to actually have those traits and to be a kind, nice, good person, but not doing it for that cynical reason. You should do that anyway. Um, But yeah, it's a funny thing. And I think... um, for me, all of those things are what makes a good business leader. And hopefully, yeah, there'll be uh, more of those people out there. I think there already are. I feel like actually randomly over the last sort of few years since COVID especially, more people have taken things a little bit less seriously and have kind of calmed down, I've I found, um, which is great. So, yeah, definitely a great generation of, of business leaders coming through, I think.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And do you have any final words for our audience today?
1: Yeah, I think my final words would just be that, you know, Whoever's out there listening, hopefully I've been able to give you something um, from my experience, my you know, my somewhat limited experience in in this whole world of, of work. Um, but certainly there's some value there. Um, keep doing what you're doing wherever you are. Keep smashing it. I'm sure you I'm sure you will be. Just know what you know that you don't know anything. I think really that's like the biggest thing. Just know that you don't know. Like and and I think once that clicked for me, everything changed because then you really become free. And you're not then trapped to this idea that you have to be a certain guy. You have to be a certain woman. You have to be you know, that personal authority. You really don't need to be. And I think working with amazing people is the best way that you can upskill yourself and create amazing results. So, yeah, know that you don't know anything. I think it was, I think it was Plato, Aristotle, one of the Greeks. No, I think it's Plato actually you said that. I think you can check me on that one again. I'm tired. I can't remember. But it's <laughs> remember knowing that you don't know anything is really when you start to, to realize how how you can do your thing and i think for me once that clicked again everything changed so yeah hopefully you've enjoyed listening and if anyone wants to follow me obviously they can hit, hit me up on linkedin if anyone wants some advice or any anything from me that as much as i can like email me at jordan.rk.media um or, or dm me or linkedin or instagram or anywhere else so thank you hope you're having a good day wherever you are and thank you so much for having
0: me on